Would you warm our hearts? Would you direct our wills in such a way that we see you as glorious and mighty and awesome and that that we want to direct our lives and we want to direct the way that we walk and the way that we talk and the way that we live in such a way that says to the world that our God is great. Father, as you revealed yourself to Abraham and he responded in faith, as you revealed yourself to Moses and though he responded slowly, He responded in faith and led your people. And as you revealed yourself to David, when he was in sin, when Nathan said, you are the man, he responded in faith and in repentance. And just as Mary, the mother of Jesus, heard your will, revealed to her as as miraculous and as crazy as she thought it was, she responded in faith. Would you cause us today to hear your word as it is revealed to us? And just as they responded in faith, would you cause us to respond in faith? Just as many of them responded in repentance, would you cause us to respond in repentance? Father, would, be, would the result of today's service and this sermon be that we have greater faith in you, that we walk in a more robust trust in You, and that we bear the fruit of knowing You deeper and knowing You more. We ask this in the name of Christ the Lord. Amen. I know the will of God for your life. I'm not being facetious, I'm not being sarcastic, I'm not trying to be light-hearted. I can confidently say, David Cobb, that I know God's will for your life. Ronald Haynes, I know God's will for your life. Betty Jo, I know God's will for your life. I mean that with every fiber of my being, and I'm confident of that with every fiber of my being. This is God's will for your life. That you have the fullness of spiritual wisdom. So that you have the joy of spiritual power. So that you bear the fruit of a spiritual life. Isaiah, would you put it on the screen for us? Everything that I say this morning, everything that we study hangs off of that statement which is God's will for your life. It is for you to have the fullness of spiritual wisdom so you can have the joy of spiritual power so that you can bear the fruit of a spiritual life. That's God's will for you. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1 where we will continue our series called Deeper, Deeper. If we're going to live for Jesus more powerfully, then we must know Him more deeply. And I don't know that any passage in the book of Colossians points us to that reality more than verses 9 to 12. 
Now, in week one of our series on going deeper into Christ, we went deeper into the gospel. And and we, we looked at the power of the gospel, which is the power of conversion, how he changes you from death to life and darkness to light by the power of Christ's gospel coming to you and you being converted. We looked at the prize of the gospel, which is Jesus Christ himself. That Mark, you, you, you get to be in Christ and Christ in you. And that is a glorious prize because you have intimacy now with the Savior. All right. Then we looked at the promise of the gospel, which is grace and peace. And those who have been converted and who are in Christ and Christ is in them get to walk in grace and get to know the peace that comes from knowing Him as Savior. Last week we, we looked at going deeper into gratitude. And the first thing we saw is that Paul gives a report A report of gratitude. He says, we always thank God for you when we pray for you. And he says, this is the reason. He said, this is the reason. Because you have faith in Jesus Christ and you have love for all the saints. So you have faith and you have love. You have a a vertical dimension to your spiritual life and you have a horizontal dimension to your spiritual life. And Paul says, I give thanks as often as I can because of that. And he says, the root of that, the root of my thanksgiving is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Epaphras brought this gospel. The fact that Jesus Christ lived perfectly, died sacrificially, rose from the dead to secure your salvation, and when he preached that message to you, you believed it. And and not only that, you didn't believe it just then, you believe it right now. And it is the root of your faith in him and your love for all the saints. And because of that, I give thanks to God all the time. That's what we studied the last two weeks. So today, today, the title of the message is Deeper in the Knowledge of God, and it's verses 9 to 12. Verses 9 to 12. And so I want you to look down at chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 14. 3 through 14, because all of this is one section. We've just broken it down into three parts, okay? And so last week we read the first, we studied the first part. This week we'll study the second. Next week we'll study the third. So this is the Word of God. This is Paul's message to the Colossians. This is God's Word to you. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the Word of the truth, the Gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom 
of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now I want you to, to keep your eyes down on the text because we're going to make two, two main series of observations, okay? The first series of observations from the passage we just read is, is an observation about repetition. An observation about repetition. Because what, what we see here is that Paul uses similar language in verses 3, and eight, 3 through 8 as he does in verses 9 through 12. So if you've got a Bible and you're looking down at the text, look at verse 3. In verse 3 he says, we always thank God. And then in verse 12 he says, giving thanks to the Father. Look up at verse 3 again. He says, we always thank God. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, he says, we have not ceased to pray for you. You see the similarity there? Always, never ceasing. Look back up at verse 3. He says, when we pray for you. And then look up at verse 9. He says, we have not ceased to pray for you. Look at verse 6. In verse 6, he says, since the day you heard it. Since the day you heard it. Look down at verse 9. In verse 9, he says, from the day we heard. Verse 6, he says, you understood. Look down at verse 9. In verse 10, he says, that you may have the knowledge of his will with spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then back up at verse 6, he says, bearing fruit and increasing. Down at verse 10, he says, bearing fruit and increasing. Can you all see the, the parallels there? Talk to me. You see them? Okay, so, so what we have to do is we have to ask the question, what is Paul doing and why is he doing it? Why, why would he use such similar language there? He is deliberately echoing the language of verses 3 through 8 in verses 9 through 12. And so I've already gone through it, but what was the thrust of verses 3 through 8? Paul is giving what? Thanks. He's giving thanks. He said, man, I'm thanking God for, for your faith and for your love. I'm thanking God for how the gospel is taking root in your life. Oh, man, I'm praising Him for His awesome work in your lives. And now in verses 9 to 12, what is Paul doing? He's praying. He, he's interceding for. He's entering into supplication for them. And so why is he repeating the language in verses 38 and 9 to 12? And this is the deal. This is what he's saying to the Colossians. He's saying, you guys have been doing an awesome job. But I'm going to pray that you keep doing it. I'm going to pray that the gospel road that you started traveling on, you're not going to get off that road. You're going to persevere on that gospel road. And I'm going to pray that way. And, and folks, I just want to say this. We oftentimes pray for people who are in the hospital, pray for people who are struggling physically, people who are going through a difficult time. But I, I believe that Paul would say, those of us who are doing well, churches, families, individuals, need every bit as much a prayer as well people do. Because we need to persevere in faith, in love, and in hope of the gospel. And so, he's wanting them to go deeper and deeper in this hope and in this faith and in this love that they have. Now, the second set of observations that we want to make is from verses 9 to 12. So if you look down at the passage, 
We just want to make some grammatical observations. All right. If you look at verse 9, you're going to find the primary request that Paul makes for the Colossians. The primary request in this section. The thrust of Paul's prayer request. The, 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 the thrust of Paul's praying is for what? Filled with the knowledge of God's will. That is his primary request. And I, I pray that the Colossians will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That is primary in his mind and in his heart. Now, in verses 11 and 12, we see an additional request. And the additional request is that the Colossians will be strengthened with all power. Can y'all see that? And one reason I say it's additional is because, and I'm getting, I'm getting awful technical right here for a moment, but every clause, every sentence has either an explicit or implicit conjunction. For you grammarians, you know what a, a, a conjunction is. It is a connecting word that connects sentence one to sentence two. Oftentimes it's the word and, sometimes it's the word for, therefore, so that. You know, you guys are familiar with those kind of conjunctive words. Well, you don't see in the ESV a conjunctive word, a conjunction. I believe the implied conjunction there is and. And may you be strengthened with all power for all endurance and patience with joy. And so I say that Paul's additional request is that the Colossians will be strengthened with all power. Now, you guys still have your observation glasses on. I want to ask the question, what is Paul's purpose for these requests? What is Paul's purpose for these requests? And we see it, and also like a conjunctive type of phrase, we see it in the phrase, so as. So as. You see that? The purpose for these requests is that the Colossians will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so, Paul's prayer for the Colossians is God's desire for every Christian, including you and me. And so, God's will is for you to have the fullness of spiritual wisdom so that you can have the joy of spiritual power so that you can bear the fruit of a spiritual life. And all that comes from verses 9 through 12. And so, let's, let's get right to it. Let's start with the fact that God desires more than anything else for you to have the fullness of spiritual wisdom. Because it, it, it really starts there, and that is the foundation of everything else. He says, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. First observation we make is this word filled, that you may be filled. It means to, to make full. It pictures a container that is empty, being filled up with something all the way up to the rim because of, of its necessity, the necessity of it being filled. I, um, when I go and work out, oftentimes I'll do cardio and I will either get on the elliptical or the treadmill. I'll say, you know what, I'm going to go for 40 minutes or I'm going to go for 35 minutes, or I'm going to do 25 minutes as hard as I can go. But I always carry with me a couple of water bottles, and uh, I at least fill up one. And every time I fill it up at the water fountain, uh, the water goes in, and I fill it all the way up to the very rim. 
and then I put the top on the bottle. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to need every ounce, every drop of that replenishment so that I can go and work as hard as I can. When, when Paul says, I pray that you'll be filled, that you'll be filled, he says, listen, life is tough. It's difficult. It's challenging. You've got all kinds of obstacles. You need to be filled with all the wisdom of God. You don't need to spare an ounce. You need to be filled up. And that's the whole point of our series, Deeper. Folks, it is God's will for you to be filled up with spiritual wisdom. Not, not for you to be a spiritual minimalist, not for you to just skate by in life, but for you to be filled up with His wisdom. Keep your eyes on the text. He says, he says with the knowledge... With the knowledge, not, not just mere recognition. This word knowledge is interesting. It means to lay hold of a reality through personal involvement. To lay hold of a reality through personal participation and involvement. It is the ownership of a truth or a reality. You know, there, there is a difference between knowing about something and knowing something. There's a difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody. When I was in seminary, we had preaching class, and then we had preaching lab. Preaching class was all about the theory of preaching. And I'm telling you, it was a comfortable place to be because you, you read books about sermons, you watched sermons, you listened to sermons, you critiqued sermons, you talked about sermons, you listened to others talk about sermons. It was a really, really just fun class. But we went from the class to the lab. And in the lab, you've got seven of your, your closest friends um, called uh, philosemonoids who were sitting there looking at you with the teacher in the back with a notebook and, and, uh, and a paradigm by which to grade you. And then as you stand behind the pulpit, he puts on the video camera and the red light goes on and you begin to preach for 35 minutes. And seminary class becomes seminary lab. And, and the experience and the knowledge of preaching in class becomes real when you start preaching. It is a scary thing. But it's real. You own that relationship. You own that reality so that you've experienced it. So when, when Paul says that you may be filled with the knowledge of wisdom, be, the knowledge of His will, he said, I want you to own this relationship. I want you to have it. I don't want you to just know about it. I want you to know Him and His will. And if you look at His will here, God's will is that which pleases Him and produces joy in Him. That's God's will that which pleases God and produces joy in Him. You know, I had a man once tell me, Ryan, everything that you think, say, and do either makes God smile or frown. He said, therefore, everything that you think, say, and do is very important. Now, that's not a Bible verse, but I think theologically, you could, you could hold that statement up because... Paul is saying that what we want in your life and what we're praying for your life is that you will bring God significant pleasure by the way that you think, by the way that you speak, and by the way that you live. So he's saying, I'm praying that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, I think we've got to ask the question, what pleases God? What, what brings God joy? If we're going to know his will, if we're going to know what pleases him, how, how do we know that? Well, Douglas Moo, in a, a commentary that he read, listen to what he said. This is so significant, church, to understanding God's will. He says, what Paul has in mind is not some particular or special direction for one's life. And I'll just supply this. 
What Paul has in mind is not how you can know what college to go to or what major to choose or what job to take or what house to buy. That's not what Paul has in mind. Moose says, what Paul has in mind is a deep and abiding understanding of the revelation of Christ and all that he means for the universe and for the church. A deep and abiding understanding of Jesus Christ and all that he means for the universe and for the church and yes, we can even say for our own life. And I believe that Moo gets that statement. He, he, he believes that that is right because contextually, that's what Paul goes on to say. Would, would you be willing to go down to Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15? L look at what Paul goes on to say right after this section. He's speaking of Christ, and he says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Look at this. That in everything He might be preeminent. So understanding the will of God is understanding the universal reign of Jesus Christ. That's understanding, first of all, the will of God. And then secondly, he continues. He says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Goes on. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He, that is Christ, has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order, look at the will of God here, church, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. That is the will of God. Knowing the universal preeminent reign and supremacy of Jesus Christ, the creator and sustainer of the universe, and also knowing that he wants to present you as holy and blameless in God's sight. And so, and so church, let us not, let us not buy into this selfish, self-centered, egotistical idea of the will of God that it is all about me and me finding my, my purpose, my, my place, my agenda, my geography, my education, my job. Listen, your education and your job and your education are really, uh, and, and, and everything of your house are really important. Don't, don't hear me say that. Where you live, who you live with, who you marry are significantly important. But I will tell you this, they all fall under the universal supremacy of Jesus Christ and what He wants to do in you spiritually. What is more important to Jesus Christ about Joey Boyd's life is His holiness and His blamelessness and His faith in Him. That's way more important than whether you live in McIntosh or whether you live in Birmingham. Okay, so, so that is the will of God. And so Paul goes on to say, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, he's just simply given us two qualities that accompany uh, the, the knowledge of God's will. And so um, I won't go into greater detail um, than to say this. Spiritual wisdom 
is, a, is, a, is the art of skillful living by the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God working together in your life. Like, like if you have spiritual wisdom, you are learning the art of living skillfully Minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, because you have the Spirit of God that is filling you and the Word of God that is informing you so that you know how to make decisions on a day-to-day basis. So you know how to love your spouse on a day-to-day basis. So you know how to honor your boss on a day-to-day basis. And then you look back decades later and say, wow, God has been growing me in the art of skillful living for His glory. And then he says in understanding. I think this has a little nuance of being able to understand truth from error, good from evil, that which is right from that which is wrong. Okay? And so so Paul's prayer for the Colossian Christians is that their hearts will resonate with God's desire to magnify the supremacy of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again because that's, that's significant. Paul's prayer for the Colossian Christians is that their hearts will resonate with God's desire to magnify the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, it is the will of God for you to be able to magnify the supremacy of Jesus Christ in this world, in this church, in your family, and in your life. You want to put Christ on display, and you want to say, look how sufficient He is. Look how glorious He is. Look how joy-giving He is. This is Jesus Christ. Now, I want to ask the question, how? How can I be filled with the knowledge of God's will? How can I be filled with the knowledge of God's will? And for you note-takers, I would like for you to write, write that question down. And there are three Three ways for sure that you can be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And this is the most applicable, this is the, the most applicational part of our sermon today. So if you want to know what, what should I go do? First of all, you need to hear from God. Hear from God. Let me invite some participation. What are some different ways that we can hear from God? That's right. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take his word and we've got to hear from his word. That, that is the way to hear from God. God has been gracious to give us 66 books, an Old Testament and a New Testament. He has preserved them miraculously and incredibly. And, and, and there, is, there is in this book all the fullness of spiritual wisdom. So we find it in his book. Now, how do we hear from God in his word? Absolutely. It requires the Holy Spirit. I think this is a good time to say, if you're in this building today and if you've not put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ, you've, you've not repented of your sins and say, I give all that I have and all that I am to Jesus, I want to invite you to do that today. I want to invite you to trust in Him because then the Holy Spirit will come into your heart and begin to fill you with the Word of God as you hear Him. Okay, So, so we've got the ministry of the Spirit working with the Word of God, but how? how? We're, we're trying to get practical here. Personal Bible study, okay? We're gonna go to, we'll go to that one next, Chris. We, we, we want to do personal Bible study. And, and so I put, un, under hearing from God, I put read the Bible daily. Read the Bible daily. And, and I got really practical. When you read the Bible daily, you, you want to ask a few critical questions. The first question that you want to ask is, what does this text say about God? 
What does this text say about God? And once you look at, at what it says about God, His character, His nature, His actions, you, just want, you want God to be put on display as you're studying because you're trying to grow in the understanding of God's will, so you need to know about God. You want to ask the second question, what does this say about my need? What does this say about my need? Because every text in the Bible addresses your need. All right? And so what does it say about my need for God? And then the third question, this is important, how does this point to the person and work of Jesus Christ? This is all in your daily Bible study. All in your baby. What does it say about God? What does it say about my need for God? And what does it say about the person and work of Jesus? How does it get me to the person and work of Jesus? So, so you're reading 2 Chronicles, and you don't see the word Jesus or Christ or Messiah or Savior anywhere around that. You've got to, you've got to dig a little deeper and say, as I'm reading this, how is this pointing to, to the need for Jesus? How is this pointing to how Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this shadow? Or how Jesus is the answer to this question or the solution to this problem? Those are kind of questions that you need to ask if you're going to read Hezekiah or Haggai or Leviticus or Deuteronomy or any of these Old Testament books to get you to where God wants you to be learning about Christ. Okay? So we've got to hear from God by reading the Bible daily. Chris Heitz said that we need to listen to sermons. We need to listen to the preached word. We need to come prepared. Well, I tell you what, I'm, I'm loving more and more people talking to me about how they're studying the word through the week in preparation for Sunday morning. That's happening. I've had numerous people tell me, hey, I'm excited about this passage or I'm excited to see what you're going to say or how you're going to explain this verse because I've been studying it this week. Something that Phil and I think are convinced of, church, is that the more we can be studying the same text of Scripture, what we're studying on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights in our personal Bible study, the more God's going to do a sanctifying work in our our marriages, in our lives, in our parenting, and in our our life as a church. And so we want to listen to sermons weekly, and we want to listen intently. We want to listen with a heart that wants to uh, understand the will of the Lord. Third, participate in a group Bible study. Participate in a group Bible study because, because in a group Bible study, especially here at Redeemer, you're learning how to study the Bible on your own. You're learning how to hear from God because you're interacting over the text. Hey, would you, um, would everybody in the building, if you can, just turn back and look at the board, the whiteboard in the back of the building? Okay, we studied your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven on Wednesday night. And that was the fruit of our collective study right there. And man, we, it was, it was um, robust, it was exciting, and it caused us to want the kingdom of God not only to come ultimately, to, but to come into our church and also to come into our hearts. But we're interacting, and so we want to be in an interactive Bible study. And so I encourage you to do that. And then the final thing under this how to hear from God is to journal what you learn. Journal what you learn from God. If, if your mind is anything like my mind, it is not, um, oh, what is it called when you remember everything? Photographic, yeah, <laughs> or photogenic, yeah. 
There you go, Leah. You and I, are, we're, we're, we're thinking it's the same thing. Not, I don't have a photogenic mind, so I, I need to write things down that God shows me, and I need to go back to, to what he's shown me so that I can be refreshed in understanding what his, will, uh, what his will is when I read 2 Chronicles or when I read Leviticus. And so journal what you learn. And these are all ways to hear from God. You read the Bible daily. You, you, you meditate on Scripture. You, you, you write in a journal. You listen to sermons. You're part of an interactive Bible study. And in all these ways, you're hearing from God so that you can know what His will is. The second way is to speak to God. If you're going to hear from God, you also want to speak to God. And I want to say this. Primarily, you want to speak to God after you've heard from God. You want to speak to God after you've heard from God. God has shown you His character. He's shown you His work. He's shown you His nature. He's shown you your need. He's shown you the fulfillment of the, of the person and work of Jesus Christ in order for you to be saved from darkness to light and death to life. And now, with all of that knowledge of His will, you go to Him and, and you're able to allow all of that truth to inform what you pray, how you pray, who you pray for, and, and the nature in which your, your communion exists between you and the Father. And so you want to pray at home, by yourself. You want to pray in your car, by yourself. You want to pray with your family, pray with your friends. You want to rehearse the gospel in your pray. But this is how you begin to learn and to know and to exercise the will of God in your life. That's how. And, and y'all, I know it, it, doesn't, it doesn't sound like a silver bullet. It doesn't sound like, oh, well, that's the magic trick. Well, there's really nothing magical about growing in the knowledge of God's will. It is a steady plotting in the ordinary means of grace. And then finally, under this whole heading about how I can be filled with the knowledge of God's will is to speak to others about God. Speak to others about God. And so you want to hear from God, and then you want to speak to God, and then you want to speak to others about God. Tell a friend or a family member what you're learning about God. Anthony, Carolyn, I don't know if you guys read on your own or together, but Anthony, you're reading on your own in the morning, and you go out and have a cup of coffee with Carolyn. You just want to speak to her about what you're learning in the Word of God. You just want to speak, hey, God showed me His character today. This was incredible. And you just take five minutes and talk about that. And you know what God's doing there? God is working not only what you've learned intellectually and not only what you've talked back to Him prayerfully, but as you speak about it, He is just driving His will home in your heart. That's the way God works. The more senses that we can involve in, in the will of God, the more we're going to know the will of God. It's going to be stamped and imprinted on our minds and in our hearts. Okay? And so, so hear from God, speak to God, speak to others about God. And so tell a friend, tell a family member, um, talk about God to the people closest to you, to your neighbors, and, and, and specifically about the supremacy of Christ. Okay, that's the first part of our statement. God's will is for you to have the fullness of spiritual wisdom. Everything else is going to flow pretty naturally from here. He wants you to have the fullness of spiritual wisdom so you can have the, the joy of spiritual power. Look down at verse 11 and 12. May you be strengthened with all power. Paul is saying, may you be strengthened by God with the greatest strength imaginable. May you grow spiritually strong with the unlimited strength of the omnipotent God. That, that's the essence of what he's saying here in the language that he uses. And, and he says, according to his glorious might. 
according to His glorious might. And church, I had to ask the question, what is His glorious might? What is it? Like, if if I'm going to be confident in God, and if I'm going to have the joy of spiritual power, it stands to reason that I've got to know how strong God is. Well, praise God that Paul also wrote the book of Colossians. I want you to take your fingers, hold the place in Colossians 1. I want you to go back to Ephesians. I don't know if I said Ephesians or not, but go back to Ephesians. Ephesians 1, Paul addresses this more explicitly about the the glorious nature of God's might as he's praying for the Ephesian church. I want you to look down at verse 16. Guys, this is fascinating. This is not only fascinating, this will fuel your spiritual life right here. Paul says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now that sounds very similar to what we're reading, doesn't it? Watch this. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. Now I'm asking the question now, what is this immeasurable greatness? What is this immeasurable power? You've got to tell us, Paul, don't leave us hanging in the dark. And look at what he says according to the working of His great might. Same language as in Colossians. That He worked in who? Christ. That He worked in Christ when He raised Christ from the, what? Dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenlies. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Listen, the glorious might of God is His power to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. The glorious might of God is His power to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, if if you're tempted to maybe not be overwhelmed by that, let's think about it for a moment. Because God raised His Son from the dead, death no longer has power over you. Because God raised His Son from the dead, sin no longer has power over you. Because God raised His Son from the dead, hell no longer has power over you. Because God raised His Son from the dead, darkness no longer has power over you. This is the glorious nature of God's strength and His might. That you can walk in life, that you can walk in light, that you can walk in wisdom, that you can walk in prudence, and that you can walk in power. That is the glorious nature of God's might. And we need to rejoice in this because every one of us were children of darkness. We were dead in our sins and we were hell bound. Praise God for His power to raise His Son from the dead. And so, and so why is it important for us to have this unlimited spiritual power? Now, 
I want to I zero in here for you guys who are still with me and you're studying the scriptures. Look down at the text. Look down at the text. Why is it important that you have unlimited spiritual power? To have what? What? With joy. Good. Have all endurance and patience with joy. That's why it's significant. Listen, because we get these ideas that spiritual power is, is, is manifested in, in things like what we watch on TBN or things that we hear about that are going on in other churches around here where it, it is miraculous, it is glorious, it is absolutely unexplainable physical and material manifestations. That's what we think about when we hear glorious might. And what Paul is saying, it's not really about that. Spiritual strength and the very might of God produces endurance and patience with joy. That is the nature of a spiritual life that has strength. And so, so, so let's talk about endurance. Endurance is your ability to persevere in faith and love and hope in the midst of an impossible situation a seemingly impossible circumstance. You've got a family situation that just seems to be impossible. You've got a job situation that just seems to be nearly impossible. You've got a friendship situation that has been broken and it seems impossible. You've got a money situation that seems impossible. And Paul is saying, when you've got spiritual wisdom and you've got spiritual might, you're going to be able to have faith and hope and love in the midst of that terrible circumstance. And then he's saying, when he says patience, he's saying not only that, you're going to be able to persevere in faith and hope and love in the midst of an impossible relationship, in the midst of an impossible person that may be in your life. Listen, you may have a husband that is just, in your mind, seemingly impossible. You may have a wife that is seemingly impossible. You may have kids or parents that are seemingly impossible. You may have a boss that is seemingly impossible. And Paul is saying that if you have the knowledge of God's will and you have the strength of His glorious power, you're going to be able to persevere in faith and hope and love in the midst of all of that. And you're going to demonstrate how sufficient and powerful Jesus Christ really is. So, that is what he's getting at. And so, the... Uh, the joy of spiritual power, we, got, we have to get to that before we move right on because he talks about you're going to do it with joy. With joy. You're going to be delighted. There's going to be a constant inner delight in your heart. Why? Because. Because you know you're pleasing God. You know you're honoring God. And also, you're, you're increasing in your relationship with God. Folks, would you, would you look, look up at me for just a moment? I know that everybody who came in here today has problems. I know every one of you do. I do. I know that you've got relationship problems. You've got job problems. You've got, you've got parenting problems. You've got problems. You've got money problems. We all have problems. We do. And those things are real. This is what Paul is saying to you. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. You know that in the midst of your worst problem, in the midst of a terrible marriage, in the midst of an awful job, you can have joy. You can have delight that everybody around you does not know about 
because you are tapped in to a relationship with Jesus Christ where you are increasing in your knowledge of His will. And the increasing of His will is bringing you joy because you know that you're making Him smile by the way you're living your life. That's significant. Grasp hold of that because that's what's going to get you through all the difficult, uh, difficult things that we just mentioned. And so it's the delight of persevering in faith and love and hope no matter what your circumstances, no matter what the relationships you have. Um, I believe, if you look down at the text, I believe that verse 12 really um, really speaks to the transition that he's making in verses 13 and 14. And uh, let me just find it here in the, in the text. Go back to Colossians. He says, he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This is like a bridge verse that is getting us to the pinnacle of 13 and 14, but let's don't lose sight of the fact that gratitude is fitting where gospel transformation has occurred. If you just read the New Testament and you read where God has changed people's lives, transformed them from darkness to light, you see thanksgiving and gratitude around that text almost every time. Why? Because gratitude is fitting where transformation has occurred. We talked about that last week, and that's what he's saying. You're also going to demonstrate that as well. Okay, let's go to the third aspect of our statement. God's will is for you to have the fullness of spiritual wisdom so you can have the joy of spiritual power so you can bear the fruit of a spiritual life. Let's read verse 10. He says, so as, this is the purpose. I want you guys to know God better. I want you to understand His will. I want you to walk in His power. I want you to know the joy of honoring Him in difficult circumstances among difficult people so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now look, look, the key verb, the key command is to walk. To walk. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Because the, the other verbs that, that he lists here in verse 10, they're all what we call participles. Pleasing, bearing, increasing. Pleasing, bearing, increasing. Those are all ways in which we walk in a manner of the, uh, worthy of the Lord. Okay, So the key command here is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What is he saying? He's saying live in a way that accurately reflects the identity the identity and the work of Jesus Christ. Maybe I could say it a little bit better. This is important. Some of you may be tired of taking notes, but I would say that this would be important for you, to, for you to take down. What does it mean? What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? It means to live in a way that accurately reflects the identity and character of Jesus Christ. Live in a way that accurately reflects the identity and character of Jesus Christ. That's what it means. Church, help me out. What is the identity of Jesus Christ? I'm not asking for, let me ask you better. I'm not asking for a definition. I'm asking for identity markers of Jesus. Okay, he's holy. He's a servant. He's kind. He's generous. 
He's loving. He is. He's compassionate. He's the king. He's gentle. He's righteous. He's bold. Who, what was that, Matthew? Holy. Yeah, he is the Holy One. That is, that's a good title. He's the Holy One. So this is the deal. Is that Paul is saying that we are to look at him as the Holy One, the one who is compassionate, the one who is loving, the one who is merciful, the one who is kind, the one who is generous, the one who is righteous, who knows the truth and speaks the truth and lives the truth, who, who loves God and loves people and cares for them, and we are to reflect his character and his identity in that way to the whole world. That that's what he's saying here. All right, so, so we're walking in a manner that accurate, really accurately reflects both his identity and his character. And then he, he, care, he uh, kind of uh, qualifies, he says, fully pleasing to him. And in other words, bringing him honor and pleasure. Now, look down. We're on the home stretch here. He says, now, bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. That's, that's bringing forth spiritual fruit in all that, you, all that you do. And so guys or ladies who work, you're in a meeting with a co-worker. And, and this is the idea. Your attitude, your words, and your deeds produce spiritual fruit in that meeting. Husbands, wives, you're in a conversation that might be getting a little heated, a little testy in the kitchen with your spouse. The idea is that your attitude, your words, and your deeds are yielding spiritual fruit that reflect the identity and the character of your Savior. Child, you, you have disobeyed, and your parents have confronted you about your disobedience, and you're wanting to resist them, you're wanting to reject them, you're wanting to pull away from them, you're wanting to kick them in the shins, you're wanting to do anything but listen to them. But if you're a Christian, what you're saying is, let my... Let my, my mindset, my attitude, my words, and my deeds reflect the identity and the character of the Savior who has redeemed me. And so we could go all the way down the line and give all, all kinds of different examples, but this is what it means. It is mean I look to my Savior for who He is, what He has done, and I want to reflect both His identity and His character in every relationship that I have, in every circumstance that I have so that I can show how glorious He is in my life. And then finally, if you look down, He says, I want you to increase in the knowledge of God. I want you to increase in the knowledge of God. He says, I want, to grow, I want you to grow in your understanding of God and in your relationship with God. I want you to know Him more. I want you to experience a deeper relationship with Him. And guys, I just really think this is critical. This is critical. The ultimate end, the ultimate end of a spiritual life of wisdom and, and, a, and a life of, of joyful power in Christ is not just bearing fruit so that people can see how glorious and sufficient God is. The ultimate end is knowing God more. Jesus was in the garden on the night that he was betrayed. 
He is praying while all of his other disciples are sleeping. And he's uttering the most precious and powerful prayer that has possibly ever been uttered. Of course, every prayer of Jesus is powerful, but this one especially recorded for us. And Jesus essentially says, I pray that they may have eternal life. Eternal life is to know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's what the essence of salvation is the knowledge of God. It is being in a relationship with Him. It's experiencing His love. It's experiencing His grace. It's experiencing His mercy. It's experiencing His rebuke and His correction, but His tenderness and the way in which He does it. It's walking with Him day by day and week by week and month by month where you look back and you see the increasing and growing nature of the fondness and the intimacy of your relationship with the One who created the entire world. And Paul says, that's why I want you to grow in His his will. That's why I want you to know the joy of His power. That's why I want you to bear spiritual fruit so you can ultimately can know God better and you can go in Him deeply in your relationship with Him. Would you please bow your heads with me? I would like for you to contemplate right now this statement. God's will for you is to have the fullness of spiritual wisdom so you can have the joy of spiritual power so you can bear the fruit of a spiritual life. Would you talk to God right now about applying that to your own heart and to your own life? Would you talk to Him? Tell Him what you need. Tell Him the struggles that you're experiencing in your daily life. Confess your weakness. Confess your problems. But go to Him with a robust faith that He can answer your questions, that He can speak to your problems, and that He can, in your life, cause you to be somebody who has the fullness of wisdom, the joy of power, and the fruit of a life given over to Him. The manliest man, the frilliest lady, the spunkiest kid would all want that right there. Jesus Christ. Because if you want Jesus more than anything, you know what He'll give you? He'll give you the fullness of spiritual wisdom. He'll give you the joy of spiritual power. And He will give you the ability to live a Christian life that bears all kind of fruit. You've got to want Jesus more than anything else. You've got to want Him. So that's my prayer. With your heads bowed, listen to what the Lord spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. I believe it is our call today. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth.
Father, would you cause Redeemer Church to be a church that is not concerned about human wisdom? Lord, would you cause us to be a people who are not concerned about money, who are not concerned about power, who are not concerned about physical prowess, but are only concerned about knowing you and understanding you, that we may live with spiritual power. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.